Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. It's a great pleasure to be welcoming you to the Paul Leslie Hour. And it's a great moment when you get to speak with a musician in the class of Augie Myers, one of the great Texas musical artists. He is a legend with a capital L, a founding member of the Texas Tornadoes, as well as Sir Douglas Quintet. He is a multi-instrumentalist. A few of the musical instruments he plays include keyboards, guitar, accordion, and vocals. Augie Myers is a singer-songwriter, performing and recording artist, producer, a studio session musician, and he's recorded with some of the best artists of all time, Flaco Jimenez, Bob Dylan, Tom Waits, just to name a few. So, Augie Myers, I'm honored you're here. Man, I like what you had to say. When you say legend, that always scares me because when I, when I was growing up, legends were always ones that were already dead. You know, or died. You know, people say, "Oh, you're a legend." I said, "No, man. I'm just. I'm here." You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's been a good what do you call it, run? I guess you know. When I was a little kid, Jimmy Reed was. I mean, when I was 13 years old, I heard Jimmy Reed, Big Boss Man, and and I said, "Man, that's what I love that." that sound in him and I drove my motor scooter all the way to Houston, Texas, 200 miles, took me six and a half hours and uh, 50 cents worth of gas. And I got to see Jimmy Reed that night. I went to Jimmy Nudis's club and that's where, uh, Johnny Ace. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was a blues singer back in the days. He shot himself. Big Mama Thornton was there and told him not to do it, but he, he would call it Russian roulette with his gun all the time. And that time it blew it away at the club, Jimmy Minutis. But I got to see Jimmy Reed. And then years later, I had my band playing in Houston at a club called uh, the Liberty, Liberty Hall. And I opened the show Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for Jimmy Reed. Wow. That was, that was the ultimate for me. And, and he remembers me from when I was 14. I said, man, and we sit in a hotel room during the day and play guitars. And he told me so many stories, man. He got on my tour bus. He said, man, this is a long bus. How long is this bus? And me, I'm just one of the people. I said, well, from the front to the back. <laughs> and he turned around, and he looked in the back, and he said, ha, ha. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, 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 was, he was a character and a half. But, I, you know, over the years, Freddie Fender, me and Doug saw him. Me and Doug met when we were 12 years old. And then we met Freddie when we were 15. And um, me and Doug was already playing music together. But then Freddie came in, and he had, uh, back in those days, wasted day. He was called the El Bebop Kid in, in Mexico because anything that Elvis or anybody did here in America, he did in Spanish and had big hits in Mexico when he was like 17, 18. A lot of people don't know that. Interesting. Excuse me, I don't mean to ramble, but I, somebody asked me something, I just start talking. <laughs> hey, that's the name of the game. I appreciate it. <laughs> You mentioned a moment ago Doug Sam. Yeah. You said you met him when you were 12 years old. Did you all have immediately a musical 
brotherhood. Tell me about him. Well, his parents, tra- my mama had a grocery store. His parents traded at my grocery store. So he came in with them one day and he was looking at the baseball cards. And I said, you into baseball? He said, oh yeah, man, I, I love baseball. And actually, all through the years, Doug could tell you every stats of every player all the way back in the 40s, what their RBI was, how many runs, how many hits, how many errors they made. It was it was unbelievable. He was a knowledgeable baseball freak. And so my mother in the back in the storeroom had maybe four or five boxes of baseball cards. Back in those days, you got five cards and a stick of bubble gum for a nickel. And we'd go in the back, and he said, man, I got a... I got a bunch of doubles cards, you know, two of the same kind. He said, I cannot bring them over here and we can switch out. I said, next time you come over here, just come on in the back. And so when they put the groceries in the car, I saw his guitar in the back. I said, you play guitar? He said, I said, I'm fooling around with guitar. I said, I'm mostly a keyboard player right now. And I'm trying to learn a little bit of fiddle. He said, I play steel guitar, guitar, fiddle, whatever you want. And I said, really? So the next time his parents came the next week to the grocery store, we went in the back and we switched around a lot of card baseball cards. That's where he got his collection from. And I remember my mama coming in the bag and says, Junior, you can't do that. I said, well, we're not eating the gum, mama. We're just tra- trading cards out. Then we'd lick it, the, the paper, and put it back in the box, you know. And that's where he got his baseball collection. And we started talking music and stuff. And he he was in the country and blues. And I said, you ever heard of, uh, I can't remember the, sing- the singers right now, but there was a country singer named Adolph Hoffner. He said, oh, yes. He said, I like him. And Doug Simon, he was 13 years old, got to sit on Hank Williams' lap and played steel guitar on, on one of his songs on, on stage. Wow. So he was he was more than that. And there was a club outside of where, where Doug lived called Eastwood Country Club. All the old black entertainers played there. But that guy, Johnny Taylor, bought groceries for my mom. So I said, man, we want to come and look in the club one time. He said, well, y'all can sit there by the kitchen door in a table and drink your soda water. But uh, don't get up and move around because this is an adult club. And it was a black club, but they had... Back in those days, if it hold 150 people, maybe 20 white adults were there. Other than that, it was all black. And we we, we heard all the black entertainers back in those days. T-Bone Walker, uh, Etta James came in. I mean, is is I could sit there and name names if I could remember them all. But uh, that's where we, we learned to play music. And he said, someday we're going to play. And then I had a band called the Goldens, and he had a band called the Marquez. This is in 1964. Dave Clark Five came to town, and uh, then they were going to cancel. I opened the show at my band, and Doug came on in Dave Clark Five in the Coliseum, and they were they were going to cancel because their Fox organ broke. But I own the first Fox organ in America. And I said I have one, and they said no, this is a British organ. And I said I have one, man. Come in the green room. So they did, and he said he got a bloody Fox organ. <laughs> So uh, they used my organ. They wanted to use it the next night. And I said, no, I got a gig. And then Huey Moe, who produced a lot of acts back in the day, said, you and Doug Som know each other? And we said, yes. And Doug said, oh, we've been friends for years now. He said, well, y'all both got long hair. We were the only, we both got kicked out of school for long hair. And we went to different high schools. And uh, make a long story short, uh, he said, put a band together and I'll put a record out on y'all. So Doug came up with Sir Douglas, and I came up with Quintet, and that's where Sir Douglas Quintet came from. 
you mentioned seeing Jimmy Reed, and I'm curious to know, what are some of the other artists that you would say have had a big influence on the Augie Myers sound? Boy, uh, Merle Haggard was when they, the day Merle died. I cried, man. I mean, I, I loved him. When his when his kids come to town to play, I always go see him and sit and talk to him for a while. But uh, I love I love Merle Haggard, you know. And then all of a sudden, here comes Bob Dylan. We met Bob way back in the '60s, me and Doug, and he called us the best garage band he ever heard. And man, I remember me and Doug looking at each other. Is that a put down? No, but that's what he called it back then. <laughs> but he said, it's my favorite garage band. And years later, there was Bob Dylan and Merle Haggard opened the show for Bob Dylan in San Antonio. But it was, that was great seeing those two people together. I bet. Had to be a hell of a concert. <laughs> oh, it was, it was. So country music also played a big part in in your development. Oh, yes. Uh, when I was, I lived with my grandparents till I was almost ten years old. I couldn't walk. I had polio on my left hand and also on my legs, and I didn't walk. So I, I was at home with my mom. I started living with my mom and dad back when I was ten. Ten, and all of a sudden, across the street was this bus. And to this day, and I've tried to uh, figure out who it was, but there was a bus, and at night. Seven o'clock in the evening, Friday or Saturday, they'd come in and they'd get out of that big old bus and singing a song, laughing and drinking beer. Three o'clock in the morning, that bus pulls back up and let those people off across the street, laughing and singing and drinking beer. And I said, Mama, what? And he said, They're musicians. And I said, Well, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Until this day, I don't know who that band was. So then I, my parents got a divorce when I was 15 and I just kind of went on my own then. But the country music I really loved back in the you know, Leslie Fazell was there. Oh man, I can't even think of um, Hawkshaw Hawkins. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know any of these people I'm naming. You know, and 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 I get my daddy and his four brothers were all rodeo people. When the rodeo come to town, they were calf ropers, uh, horse buck, bucking horses and riding them things. And we'd be backstage, and there'd be Roy Rogers. Sometimes there'd be Gene Autry. There'd be Tex Ritter. Uh, we'd get to see all these people, man, and it was it was it was fun back in those days. Hmm. Well, just those names. That I, I I don't know all those people, but a lot of them I do. Who has left you in a state of awe? Do what, sir? Who has left you in a state of awe when you met them? Who were you in awe of when you met them? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, you know, oh, wow. They're, but my dad would say things like this. Uh, uh, my, my, I said, dad, dad, there's Gene Autry, there's Roy Rogers or Tex Ritter, whoever. But he said, boy, when you go to the toilet and sit down on the toilet, who cleans you up? And I said, well, I do. He said, well, they do, too. They ain't no different than you. <laughs> That's what my daddy would say. <laughs> Well uh, put, which is true, you know. So, <laughs> but made me think, wow, man, they're just like me. <laughs> yeah, or I'm just like them. I don't know. I just gonna say it, it was it was a wonderful time growing up and, and all that. You know, getting getting to be backstage. I'll tell you a funny story. When I just said Gene Archery, me and Freddie Fender were in California. Went to this restaurant, and there was Gene Archery and put Pat Buttram, his sidekick. And this was in nineteen. Uh, I don't know, 
87 or 88, right before Gene died. And Freddie said, man, there's Gene Autry. I got to go to the, go, got to go to the bus and get a, a CD. So he went to the bus and he came back and he said, Mr. Autry, he said, my name is Freddie Fender and I've been a big fan of yours since I was a kid and I want to give you my CD. And he signed it to Gene Autry from Freddie Fender. He handed it to Gene, and Gene kind of looked at it, put his glasses on. He said, what's your name, Sonny? He said, Freddie Fender. And he asked Pat for a pen. She opened it up, and he put on the right next to the word Freddie. It's said to, to Gene Archer. He said, to Freddie Fender from Gene Archer. And he handed it back to Freddie. He said, thank you, Sonny. And I'm standing. <laughs> Freddie looked and said, that dirty dog. I wanted to give him this thing. He autographs it, gives it back. I said, Freddie, you got a classic. Shut up and keep it. Let's go eat. <laughs> but, but that was Freddie Fender. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Now, one of the names that you mentioned is no stranger to anybody listening. You mentioned Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. He, we met him way back in the 60s. We become, I don't know, just really sit down and wrapped and then, uh, Years later, he called me. He says, Augie, you got your magic box with you? And I said, who's this? He said, before all this started, I get married to my second wife, Sarah. And I said, here's here's a pad and pencil. I've got it right on my my phone. Anybody calls me or texts me, I always write their name and number down. And I said, anybody calls, put it down on the paper. When I get back, I'll call you. Well, I went on the road. Me and Doug went on the road where we were playing. I come home. I said, I said, anybody called? She said, no, somebody yesterday called named Bob. And I said, you write it down? She said, no, if it's important, they'll call back. I was busy. I said, sweetheart, don't do that. you got to put every name down. She said, well, if it's important, they'll call back. Well, two, three days later, Bob calls back. And it was Dylan. He said, you got your magic box? And I said, yes. And he said, I, sure, I want you to come to Florida. We're going to do an album, and I'd like you to bring your magic box. And I said, no problem. He said, well, bring some clothes because we're going to be there about 30, 35 days. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah. So I went to Florida, and we did this album. And I get off the phone, and I said, that was Bob Dylan calling. She says, who? And I said, Bob Dylan. I said, she, well, my wife was in the disco. <laughs> when she married me, she didn't know who I was, but her brothers and her dad said, marry him. <laughs> I love his music. You know, Her dad knew all my music. And so did her brothers, but she didn't know who I was. And that's why I, 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 we were together. We didn't want to live together, but we went together for five years before we got married. But the only reason I really fell in love with her because she didn't know who I was. Not that I'm famous or nothing, but it just, you know, she didn't, it wasn't no big deal to her. So. And was that time out of mind? Time out of mind. And then we did another album. He, he called me to do August. No, not August Moon. Uh, something modern, modern something modern. Oh yeah, uh, modern times. Modern, and, and uh, I didn't get to, I didn't get to play one. I was in Europe. I mean, we were traveling, touring in Europe. I didn't get to do that one. I did Time Out of Mind, and then uh, uh, was it Love and Theft? Yeah, that was it. Was he at all different to be in the recording studio with? He's a genius. He would sit there. He says. Man, I gotta figure out some. I got, I got about ten verses for this song, and I said, well, "We just recorded it." He said, "Yeah." I said, "It's about twenty-two minutes long." He said, "I know, but it needs a bridge." And I'm saying, 
well, that's going to be about 25 or 30. He said, I don't care. Well, that, that was Dylan. I mean, he would just write. And it didn't matter if his song was one minute or 20 minutes long, you know. But he knew what he wanted when he got in the studio. When he did Time Out of Mind, he says, Augie, if you and Doug did this tune, what would you do? And I said, well, we wouldn't have two different drummers. We wouldn't have two, two or three different guitar players. I said, you write this on the piano or the guitar? He said, I wrote it on the piano. I said, well, then you play piano, and I'll play uh, organ on it. I said, I just hear a little organ in the back. And that's how the way we did it. And he would ask me questions like that, and, and which was nice. Now, his bass player, Tony Garnet, I just talked to him yesterday, and I talked to his guitar player yesterday also, Charlie Sexton. And they were supposed to go to Japan this last month on tour and then go to Australia. Bob don't like time down. He likes to just keep playing. But everything got put on hold. He's a remarkable, you know, he knows what he wants before he goes in the studio. But then sometimes he sits there and says, how would you do this, you know? And that's that, that I like that in the singer when they'll ask you, I wrote this song, but what do you, how do you think it should go? You know, I do, I do that when I'm in the studio sometimes with my, with my band. I'm glad that you mentioned Tony Garnier. He has played with Bob Dylan longer than anybody. Oh, yeah, he's been with him 16 years now. He was with Ray Benson, Sleep at the Wheel, before that. He's a Louisiana boy. <laughs> what is Tony like? Oh, he's a great dude. He's a great dude. He just bought himself a brand-new motorcycle. <laughs> and when we talked the other day, he says, Oh, man, i got to pay my motorcycle payment. You know, <laughs> all freezing. Oh, we're not working. You know, so... I'm curious because there's such a, a, a sound of Mexico in a lot of your recordings. What kind of influence has Mexican music had on your life? Well, we live in San Antonio, which is 145 miles from Laredo, Texas. That's where my wife is from. And right across the Laredo is a border to Mexico. Uh, I, my daddy always listened to Conjunto music. He used to tell me, boy, if you learn to play that kind of music, you'll go someplace. And I, every time somebody dies, that's been a, that I really like. Like when Freddie Prince passed away, I went and bought an accordion. Well, I happened to be in Little Rock, Arkansas when he passed away. And I went to a pawn shop and bought me an accordion and started learning to play it. Uh, everybody said, hey, you know what, someone try to play some polka stuff. Well, Doug now, he played a vajo. On some of our songs, Avajo is Mexican guitar. It's a 12-string guitar. It's got piano strings on it. And we we did, uh, was it, uh, Who Were You Thinking Of? There was a song I found that was uh, by some country, two brothers, country, I can't think of their name right now, but they're from Nashville. They wrote, Who Were You Thinking Of? Uh, we make love last night. We did it in more of a, a, a polka type thing. Even, even She's About a Mover, if you look at that but it's a polka beat and we put rock and roll lyrics to it and just made more rock and roll but it was a polka beat it's a bag beat that's a lot of po uh conjunto that's called the spanish music like hey baby kept paso or velma from selma or a dinner those are conjunto uh tempos but the, the, i love that kind of music i always grew up listening when i was little learning to play piano i would play waltzes in, 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 in backbeats of songs that I heard on the radio, you know, my my grandfather had a 
transistor radio, he'd listen to the farm report in the morning. And my grandmother, they were Polish. I talked Polish till I was seven years old. And they would sit there and listen to the farm report. And then they would, a, a song would come on. It'd be a polka or a waltz or something. And my grandmother would say, yes, it's Maria. And she said, those people at 530 in the morning, they're drinking already and they're drunk. She says, how do they do that until early in the morning? She couldn't understand how they were. She didn't think of that there were records. (laughs) Interesting. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping you can tell us about Los Texas Tornadoes. Tell us about the formation of that group. Well, after we we, we moved back from uh, California, after the earthquake came in 72, we moved back to Texas. We just hung out and, and just played different places. And we were, Doug, I, I, I then bought my uh, accordion, and I had my band, and Doug had his band, and we played off and on after the quintet. We didn't break up. We just kind of just did different things, but we still played this quintet. And Doug got to himself a Vajo, and I brought my accordion over, and we started pl- playing some poker stuff, and we were just having a ball. And all of a sudden, I wrote this song called Hey Baby Kept My Soul. And Doug said, man, uh, that's a great tune. What are we going to do with it? I said, well, I put it out on my label, and it did real good. I sold it to Atlantic Records. They didn't know what to do with it. Huey Moe told me to buy my contract back, which I did. And Jerry Wexler was a good friend of mine, me and me and Doug. I mean, he called us, and we called him like twice a month, just BS and talk. And I said, I got to buy my contract back. Uh, there's a disc jockey in New Orleans that said, that the the rep from Atlantic Records went to the, the this jockey. The disc jockey said, "Hey, you have Augie Myers' new album, My Main Squeeze," and I said, "He said you don't want to hear that crap. It's just polka music." And he called me and told the DJ called me and said, "You got a problem, Augie?" And then I called Jerry Wexler, and they fired that guy the next day. And Wexler said, "What do you want to do? I just want to sell my contract back." I want to buy it back. He said, you, you can't, you got to give us all the money back we gave you. And then you got to buy everything in, in the warehouse, which was $17,800 worth of 45s and cassettes and albums. The CDs wouldn't even come up yet in those days. So I bought all that stuff back, gave them the money back, borrowed money against my car and got, got the, all the merchandise. I sold that on my shows. And, and then Doug says, man, uh, Warner Brothers wants us to put a super group together. What do you think? Uh, I said, what kind of group? He said, I don't know. Let's let's figure out. He said, let's get Freddie Fender. And I said, let's get Flocko Jimenez. Flocko and Doug and me were already a good. Doug uh, Flocko played on one of Doug's albums was uh, when we were on Atlantic Records, and we were all just old buddies from. And so we put four of us together and called it the Texas Tornadoes, and that's where the, the rest was history. Some of our listeners might not be aware of the great artist Flaco Jimenez, and I'm hoping you can tell us about this this really, really talented man. Oh, man. He's 81 years old now. In fact, I've got to call him today because uh, Paul Simon and Dylan's manager are wanting to put a get Texas groups, not groups, but different singers together, and we're going to do a... Did you see the, the big thing they had on with the Rolling Stones? Everybody played in their own house. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago. That we're going to do that for the music cares in Texas, for the musicians in Texas. We're going to do that in about three weeks. 
that's that's where I talked yesterday to Charlie Sexton because he playing he's playing with Dylan and and uh, Jeff Rosen, who's a Bob Dylan's manager. Said call Augie, so he they called me and asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said yes. So we're going to get together and play this thing in about three weeks. They're going to do everybody's going to come to my house and film me. Then we're going to go to my drummer and bass player's house and do it too. But uh, yeah, oh, cool. <laughs> it's uh, it's I guess uh, <laughs> I've never done anything like that, so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Fascinating. <laughs> we're, we're living in interesting times. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. It's just. Uh, I think that's the next thing. They're not going. People aren't going to go on tour. They're just going to go somewhere and videotape their show and put it out on internet. I don't do too much internet. I don't do. I don't have a computer in my house. I don't even have a cell phone. That's all antichrist in my book. <laughs> yeah. It is. Man. Now I've got my 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 uh, little iPad. That's one of the small ones. And my son or my grandson will call me and say, you, "Somebody wants you to call them." And then I'll look on. I don't. I, I don't go to. I don't do Facebook. I don't text. You know. I don't do emails. I do females, but not emails. So, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm old school. My grandson, he's 21, and he got a scholarship to play basketball, but now he's doing in college. Uh, he's doing it from home now. They're not going to school, but he's in college his third year, and he's doing, they're doing, he's going into cybersecurity. He wants to be a doctor, but now he's in cybersecurity. People want him. Some company out of Boston is wanting him already, so. But he always said, Papa, you got to get smart and, and do this stuff and learn how to do it. I said, I don't want to. I'm, I'm doing other things, you know. <laughs> so. How is Flacco doing these days? Oh, yeah, getting back to Flacco. Flacco's doing great. He's a little frail now on his, uh, you know, he's 81 years old. and he, He's got arthritis in his back, which so do I. And I've got it in my ankles now. And uh, we're doing shows, but uh, a lot less, you know. Everything's closed down now, but we had like 10 shows booked from March, April, and May in June. And in June and July, I was going to go to Europe for 27 different shows. Everything got canceled. So Flacco's at home, and me and him did a new album last year with the original Tornado Group. We can't call ourselves the Texas Tornadoes no more. Because after Doug died, Doug has a son. And I said, do you want to come in the band and take Dad's place? You play Dad's songs. And well, he started little by little trying to take over the band. And all of a sudden, in 2017, we had shows in Colorado, uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We were up there, then major concerts and stuff. And everything got canceled. And then I found out he went on the road and got a new band. And uh, he went and registered the Texas Tornado name. I, I, after Doug died... Freddie died in 06. November was 20 years ago that Doug died. And then 06, Freddie died. And so I just didn't ever register the name anymore. And he went and registered the name. He owns it. So he says he's going to fire me and Flacco because we were too old to play. He said, y'all y'all, y'all don't groove anymore. I said, what? I, well, whatever. No problem. So the whole band quit him. And we cut a new album, me and Flacco. In the original band, man, it's uh, you ever heard of Bill Halverson? Rings a bell. 
He, he did Crosby, Stills, and Nash. He did the Tornado first album where we won a Grammy. Well, me and him kept in touch over the years. He said, I hear you and Flock are doing an album. We said, yes, we're finished with it. We got finished in February. We want to start mixing in, in March. Well, everything, the coronavirus came up, put everything down. The studio closed up and said, I'm not going to open up till it clears up. And we said, no problem. So we're just waiting for the studio to get through so we can go back and mix our new CD that we've got. But Flacco's doing great. He just did a show for WellMed. That's a, he, where his medical, where he does his medical stuff at the hospital. So he just did a big a show on, I guess on Facebook for them a couple of weeks ago. So he does his own thing. I do mine. And uh, then I say, hey, we got some shows. Okay, let's go do them. And that's what we do. And that's uh we've always done. Somebody asked us one time, man, the tornadoes, you all are really tight. Y'all rehearse all the time. This one we play on stage. That's only that's our rehearsal. What about your own songwriting? What would you say? You know, when when I called you, you said that you had your pen and paper out and you were you were writing some music. Mm-hmm. What would you say the process is? What gets you What gets you going with a song? I don't know. The other day, well, for an example, the other day a guy got on one of these high, tele, not a telephone pole, but these big old metal things that go way up in the air that hold electrical wires across the country. He was way up there, and he was he was he was going to jump, you know, and uh, remind me of a story when I was in New York. This uh, this color guy, I walking down the street when I was living in New York in the 80s, and there's like a couple of hundred people looking up on this top of this building. And I walked by, and, and this color guy was there, and I said, what's going on? He said, that guy's up there. He's been up there about a half hour, and he's going to jump. And all of a sudden, he looked at his watch, and he said, jump, man. I got to go to work. And so I came home, and the other day, this we, me and my wife just so we uh I had to go to the drugstore to get something in the drive-thru, and we're coming home. And so what's happening here? And the guy said, he's up on that high pole. He's going to jump because he had the main highway, I mean, the street closed off. And so I came home, and I'm writing this song now called Jump, i got to go to work. <laughs> you know, so just little things like that. It's going to be a stupid song, you know. And it, But I just, I don't know, something just catches my eye, and I just uh, put it down, you know, start writing songs about it. But I've got, right here in front of me, I've got about eight, eight to 15 pages. I write a verse or maybe a couple of lines of a song. And then when I ain't got nothing to do, I just go back through those letters. Sometimes I put four or five pages together and make a song. And also I've been writing on my book. I've got a book I'm writing, my auto, auto book about me growing up and everything. So I'm doing all that, and i got another book I'm writing. I'm just about stupid stuff. Tell us a little bit about this autobiography you're writing. What do you find that experience to be like? It's hard. I mean, when I started doing this about three years ago, I said to my, I said, man, my son said, you ought to write, everybody said, oh, you got to write a book about everybody you met and people you played with over the years. But I wrote like three pages, and my son told me, he said, Dad, you started when you were born, and the third page is, is when it's all over. There's more to it than that, and I'm saying, yeah, there is. Now I've got about 175 pages written. But uh, when I was in, in in Europe last year, a guy came up to me and says, hey, play this song. Can you play this song? And I said, 
what song? He told me, and I said, I've never heard that song. He said, you wrote it. And I said, I did. He said, yeah. And, and I said, but I didn't record it. He said, oh, no, Gene Vincent recorded it. You remember Gene Vincent? Oh, yeah. Bebopalula. Well, back in, in the 60s, he was living in California, and a friend of mine called me. He says, oh, yeah, I've got Gene Vincent going in the studio. Can you write me a couple of tunes for him? So I wrote three or four songs, but I totally forgot. I never got a CD. I mean, not a CD. I never got an album back in those days of it. All of a sudden, I did it, and then the earth, the earth, earthquake came in '71, and we moved back here, and I totally forgot, totally, totally forgot about that. I wrote some songs for Gene Vincent, and then last year I was in Rochester, New York, playing a club, and the guy owns a record shop called Hip Hop. Come in, and he says, "Hey, man, I got a lot of your stuff, Doug stuff, Freddie's and Flacco." And he said, "You got you you wrote a lot of songs for different people." And I said, "Yes, but I don't remember." I said, "Some somebody told me I wrote some stuff for Gene Vincent." He said, "I got that album," so he gave it to me. And I and then I listened to the song. And I said, "God, that's a terrible song. That's a terrible song." You know, I don't even want to be associated. But it it, it was I wrote it for Gene Vincent. You know? <laughs> I could. I said to myself, "What was I thinking about writing that song?" You know. Can you tell us about? Have there been other people who have recorded Augie Meyer songs? You mean other people have done my songs? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's been. A, I don't think. Well, I can't even think. He's dead now. What was it down in the Boondocks? Oh yeah, Billy Joe Royal. Billy Joe Royal. He did one of my songs called the uh, what was it called? A uh, Sugar Blue. You know, me and Freddie Fender was on a. Uh, you said I, who I played with a while ago. Maybe think me and Freddie did an album right for about three or four years before Freddie died was with uh, Glenn Campbell. Now Glenn Campbell back in the sixties opened a show for the Sir Douglas Quintet. All it was just him. He played acoustic guitar and a banjo. He did thirty forty minute show. Would you just Lynn Campbell by herself? You know, and you forget about all these kind of things. The people told me, and, and about a month ago, I started writing, oh, Lynn Campbell, yes, we were with him, so I wrote two pages about Lynn Campbell, you know. You forget about all this stuff after a while. You know, the, the people tell me things. It's like Tom Waits, I've done several albums with him, was on the road with him, and, he, and John Hammond's another guy, you know. Then what's Sweethearts of the Rodeo, you know? Well, I can't even think of all those girls' names anymore. But I've, I've done so much stuff like that, and it's just, we call them sessions you do with them. Mm -hmm. And you just go on and think, well, they'll send me a CD or they'll send me an album. And they never do. The company never sends it. So uh, two years ago, I just did a thing with Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah. Back there. You know, and as, as we're all, Getting off the stage, he calls me and he said, "Hey man, I sure like you to play piano with me. I'm doing an Austin City Limits thing." I said, "Oh yeah, I'm open that day." So I went there, and uh, I played on stage with him for about two hours, and we got through. And he said, "Man, me and my brothers used to come see you and Doug play." He said, "I'd love to be a full time musician, but I've got this other job." <laughs> and then I said, "Yeah, I feel sorry for you." <laughs> you know, we laughed and everything, and but. Uh, then another day comes by, you know, and he's gone and you're gone, you know, you're, you're somewhere else. But, I mean, all these people pass through your life, you know. So, Well, I'm glad to, a moment ago you were mentioning Tom Waits. It mm -hmm. was uh, 
the first time when we chatted for a couple of minutes, I pulled out this Bad As Me album that I had. Uh-huh. And then I saw your name and I thought, man, I was just talking to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's a character, man, uh, Tom Weiss. He called me. He said, Augie, we're going to go on the, the David Letterman show. Then the next day we're going on the Jimmy Fallon. We did this album. You know, and I said, okay, what song are we going to do? He said, learn all 14 of them. I said, Tom, you're only going to do one song on each show. Yeah, but I don't know what song I'm going to do. And I said, I didn't play on all the album. I just played on about five or six of the songs. He said, learn them all. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I sit back and learn. Then we went to New York, and we stayed four days in a rehearsal studio learning all the songs with the whole band. And uh, ten minutes before he went on the show, he still didn't know what song he was going to do. And then, and then the producer, we need to know what you're going to do so we can set the cameras up. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, that was that was Tom. He, he he gets real nervous and everything, but he he's cool, man. I mean, he knows what he wants. He's like Dylan. He knows what he wants to do. You know. What do you think of Tom Waits' songs? Well, I haven't. Be honest with you, I haven't heard all his early stuff. I, I've seen some of the stuff he did on television. I said, well, that's different. You know, he's a great piano player, by the way. And I said, what do you need me for? And he says, I want something different. You know, and I said, okay. And now when I go in the studio, I hire another piano player sometime. I said, I just don't, I don't want to play piano. I want to, I just want to sing and, and play, I'm going to play rhythm guitar. And you play piano, what you think? I said, I can't hear nothing on the piano on that song. And my piano player looks at me and he, that, that I hired, he says, I can hear a lot of stuff. I said, then well, play it. Don't tell me about it. Play it. So that's where it is. And with Tom Waits, he's the same way. You know, he said, play something for me. And I didn't. He said, oh, you're a guitar player. I said, how do you tell? He said, well, the keys you're playing in. He said, if you were a professional, 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 you'd be playing on the black keys. I said, oh, man, them, them, that's Greek to me. <laughs> I told him. One time when I was living in New York, I was playing at a club called Tramps. The band, they're from New York called Arnold Heck and the Uptown Horn Band. They play R&B and uh, did a lot of songs by Chicago and, and, and stuff like that. And that night, after we got through playing, it was dark downstairs in this place called Tramps. It was a club. This guy said, I like the way you play your rhythm on a, on a piano, boy. He said, you play good shuffle. And I looked up and it was Albert King. Wow. I, that's what I said. I said, man, I said, I've got all your albums. Me and Doug used to listen to you. Everything you did. He said, I'm playing tomorrow. I said, yes, you're at the Lone Star Cafe. He said, come on up and, and play with me. And that, that night where we were was a, a, a guy named Josh Dubin, also playing at Tramps, was a steel player. He's from up that part of the country, but he moved down to Texas. And he played with me for about a year, and then he moved back to New York. And that night, we, we happened to both be at Tramps. And, and Albert King walked up to him and said, Ben, I like the way you play steel. You play good blues on it. He said, well, thank you. He said, I'm playing at the Long Star. He said, Augie told me already we're coming tomorrow night. So he got us both up the next night. And he said, Augie, I'm going to do this song in C-sharp minor. Kick it off, Augie. One, two. And I'm thinking, sharp, you know, I just don't play in sharps, keys, or flats. I, I can't play it, but I, I don't like to. And, and I, I did. And, uh, his other keyboard player looked at me and said, I had to woodshed six months for that motherfucker to learn to play in the sharp flats. 
And I said, okay, no problem. But I did three or four songs with him. When we got through, we were upstairs in the green room. He said, I'm playing in Boston tomorrow. You want to go with me up there all again? I said, sir, I've got a gig. And he looked at the steel player, Josh. He said, you want to go up there tomorrow? Boston and Justin, how much is it going to pay? And Albert King took his pipe out of his mouth and he says, Did you learn anything from the King tonight? <laughs> and Josh said, Yeah, I learned I'm not going to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> True story, man. I just cracked up laughing. And so did Albert. Albert drove his own bus. How about that? <laughs> you know, he can't, he couldn't read and write. He, he, he couldn't write. He couldn't read and write. To be honest with you. I guess he didn't have to. <laughs> not, no, he didn't. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you've mentioned so many iconic people that you, you've crossed paths with. Who would you like to work with, whether recording or performing? Who would you like to that you haven't yet? Boy, that's a hard one. You know, I don't know. There's so many people out there I, I admire. I never cared for Lady Gaga until she played piano one time. On, on, I saw her on television playing piano. I said, "That lady can play. She's a she's a a great uh, artist, you know, in her own right." I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Everybody I'd like to play with are gone already. You know, I mean, they're they're, they're passed on. They're they're, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I wouldn't know. Well, whenever somebody listens to something that you recorded, or when they're at one of your shows. What is it that you want the listener to get from that experience of hearing you? I don't know. Yeah. See, I, I don't like to play dances. I, I play listening rooms last four years, five years when I play with my band because I tell stories and tell jokes and uh, have fun. I play piano a little bit and accordion and guitar. And I have sometimes my son will play just percussion behind me. And I some songs I do, I, see, I look at people's reaction and sometimes people are crying on the song that i sing i'm saying why are they crying that's that song remind me of my mother or that song remind me of, of my first wife or my husband or something and i said well i'm sorry i didn't you know i didn't when i wrote it i wasn't thinking about i didn't even know who you were or what you know that so that that gets me bothers me that i'm making people said no man you're you, you people are listening to you they're really paying attention to what you're doing which i which i, I appreciate I really do. And that shows that they're listening to what I'm saying. So I'm always trying to say the right thing at the right time. Somebody just wrote me yesterday and says, Augie, Tennessee Blues, how does that go? And I'm saying, well, listen to it. My son told me, he said, what are you going to tell that guy? And I said, well, just write back and tell him, find the record if he wants to learn the, the, how to play piano on Tennessee Blues. Listen to the record and play by ear. That's what I did. That's what I, heard. I had to learn. You know, I don't. There's so much stuff that I I want to put out and, and and record yet before I ever pass away. I'm a big reader. I read a lot of books now, and I'm, I'm looking right now at my back of my books. I've got about 300 books that I haven't read yet, and, I, and about another 150 that I've read in the last two years. I, I, there's so much stuff I want to do, and so many songs I I, I haven't written yet. But somebody asked me the other day, what's the best song you haven't written yet? And I said, a song that you like that you haven't written? I said, I don't know. I haven't wrote it yet. <laughs> so, so, I mean, what do you tell people, you know? What is the best thing about being Augie Myers? Well, uh, I don't know how to explain that one, neither. 
I mean, <laughs> you had some good questions. No, I don't know. Uh, I guess just being myself, you know. Augie Myers is, uh, sometimes I like Augie Myers, and then sometimes I don't. And then when I'm getting ready to go on stage, everybody said, you can hear the guys, and I said, and here he is, Augie Myers. And then I just tell people, well, I got to go be that guy. <laughs> well, on that note, if you if you could come close, you know, I put all these labels on you that you're a singer, songwriter, recording artist, a studio musician. You have so many titles of, of who you are. I should have added humorist also and storyteller because you definitely are a, a great humorist and storyteller. But who is Augie Myers at heart? I think he's a good guy, you know, uh, I think I, I think if, if if I'm down to my last ride, I think I wrote it all, rode through the through my life. Is it, is is my dreams have come true? You know, I I don't complain about nothing. You know, people call me and say, oh, well, "How you doing?" I say, "I'm maintaining and I'm not complaining." You know, that's uh, <laughs> if I had to do it all over, the only thing I do is probably change my underwear more. <laughs> I don't know, you know, man, I enjoy life, you know, and it really bothers me when I see a little kid in, in wheelchairs because I was, you know, I didn't walk till I was 10. And, and and then you see some guy running around robbing people and killing people for, for a nickel or a dime or a dollar, you know, and I'm, I ask the good Lord all the time, why is that, you know, the only thing that when I die, if I get to go to where I want to go, you know, I, I have a, a cross, people said, D well, I see you found the Lord. I said, I've never lost him. You know, it's, uh, why do you ask me? If you were a Christian, you wouldn't ask me if I was a Christian. That's the way I look at it. My, I have a motto in life, Paul, and it's just like, uh, I want the most, I expect the least, and I appreciate what I get. And I run like hell with it. <laughs> I love that. You know, I've been living that all my life. Not yet, I haven't. You know, people always say, you live in this town all your life? Not yet. You know. <laughs> Well, I want all the listeners out there, if they want more information, it's AugieMyers.com, A-U-G-I-E-M-E-Y-E-R-S, AugieMyers.com. And, Mr. Myers, you have done my soul good. It's been great to talk to you. Hey, man, it's great. You know, I was going to ask you before you, you hang up, give me your address. When I get, I got a new CD I'm working on. In fact, I wanted to go in the studio. I called last week, and they said, we're going to be open probably by the end of May. I'm doing a whole album. I've got eight songs cut already. Just me and the piano. No bass, no drums, no guitar. Nice. And I, one one song, I have four cellos on, and a few other songs, I have a, a violin player on. And that's a, it, it's a a good listening album. So give me your, when it's, I'm through, I'll, I'll send you some of my stuff. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. God bless you, sir. Well, thank you. You have a good day and be safe. All right, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. You got it. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Written by Irving Berlin. Performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things. Improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.